Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. Born in the 2nd Century is a podcast hosted by Chris Palmero, a secular, self-proclaimed counter-evangelist and former Catholic. Through a close reading of the New Testament and books left out of the Bible, he argues that Christianity began almost 100 years after the imagined death of Christ. Let's listen to his provocative alternative view of the historical Jesus. The conventional way of looking at Christian origins is unhelpful and should be discarded, whether it's the lack of external testimony or the contradiction of the internal testimony. Everything that we've been told about Christian origins comes from a fictional narrative that was developed by the early church to explain the circumstances of its own founding. Christianity emerged from the 2nd century as just one strain of a Jewish heresy that survived. We demonstrate an alternative way of explaining how Christianity began, one that takes all the evidence into account and addresses the many contradictions and problems. The true origins of Christianity could simply have come from a religious community imagining that the various passages from Jewish writings that speak of a super-celestial being created from the foundation of the world were in reality about the same person, and then they just construct the religious belief from there. The book of Daniel from the 2nd century BC talks about the Son of Man to whom dominion, glory, and a kingdom were given by the Ancient of Days that all people should serve him. In the Psalms of Solomon from the first century BC, the reign of the Messiah will be established not through force of arms, but wisdom and holiness. And fourth Ezra talks about the Messiah rising from the sea at the end of time. The book of Enoch says that the Messiah existed before the world was founded and he will lead the righteous to live with God forever. And there's also evidence from this period, especially in Samaria, that this celestial savior was imagined to be Joshua who was an ancient Canaanite sun god who was repurposed as the successor of Moses in the Old Testament. And Jesus is, of course, the Greek version of that name. There are also indications that the advent of the Messiah will be contrary to expectations. Now, the oracle of the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, had portrayed the nation of Israel as a servant of God who was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our wrongdoings. But we begin to see this concept applied on a more personal level, combined with concepts like we read about in the Wisdom of Solomon. Again, let's lie in wait for the righteous man because he isn't useful to us. Let's see if his words are true. Let's test what will happen at the end of his life. Because if he's God's son, God will help him and deliver him from the hand of his adversaries. Let's test him with insult and torture so that we might find out how gentle he is and make trial of his forbearance. Let's condemn him to a shameful death, because according to what he says, he'll be protected. That's from the second chapter of the Wisdom of Solomon, and it sounds uncannily like the trial of Jesus that's supposed to have taken place about a century later. 
In the first century BC, another new religious idea made its appearance, the idea that salvation and eternal life could come only from a knowledge of the true God and the knowledge of one's own spiritual nature. And this idea is called Gnosticism, which comes from a Greek word for knowledge. And this idea heavily infiltrated Judaism. In fact, it's a response to Judaism in many ways. Now, a belief system that presents the universe as being ruled by an all-powerful God doesn't seem like it would be the best environment for this idea that salvation comes from the knowledge of a true God who's otherwise imperceptible, but the Jewish Gnostics somehow made it work. They believed that the traditional God of Judaism, the God of the Old Testament, was actually an inferior being who ruled the world under the heavens through the malign influence of cosmic forces like the angels, the planets, and the signs of the zodiac. And one had to break free from his rule and learn about the transcendent God who existed outside of space and time. And the Gnostics found coded messages in the Old Testament to support this. They recontextualized biblical passages to reflect their own beliefs. And we find that in the earliest Christian documents, this kind of thing is already one of the main characteristics of the new religion. The early Christians are suspiciously comfortable with twisting Jewish Bible passages out of their original meanings and applying them to a new framework, almost as if they'd had decades of practice. But we find that the likely origins of Christianity are in variations of these Gnostic cults that sprang up in the first century A.D., and continued to develop all these ideas that we've discussed. The celestial savior, the end of the world, the spiritual resurrection of the righteous, the suffering Messiah, and the problem of evil in the visible world. What it basically comes down to is whether you're willing to believe that Gnosticism of the Jewish variety predated Christianity, or whether Gnosticism developed out of Christianity. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, Text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605. When we turn now to the New Testament and to the earliest Christian writings, including other ancient Christian books like the Odes of Solomon, we don't suddenly find a new religion called Christianity emerging out of the mist in like the year 35 A.D., When we open the New Testament, we don't find a fully formed religion that sprang forth from Judaism like Minerva leaping fully grown out of the head of Zeus. What we do find is that these 27 documents are actually the writings of different sects that originated at about the same time and were merged together at a later date. And the people who did the actual merging were very concerned to rewrite history and paper over the conflicts between the original Christian groups, which again 
all originated independently. When these groups were merged together, the later Christian church couldn't afford to simply remove certain documents, like the letters of Paul are a big one. You can tell that whoever edited the New Testament had a major problem with the letters and the religion of Paul. But if they left out those documents, they ran the risk of alienating massive sects that they were trying to get on their side. And the result is that the New Testament books appear to show us the aftermath of a violent merger of distinct sects that each in their own way derive from Jewish gnosis and the new religious ideas that we talked about earlier. The main way to distinguish them from each other is really to put them all on a spectrum of where they might stand regarding traditional Judaism. Some of these communities saw themselves as a true breakaway sect, a truly new religion, but others saw themselves as continuing within the orbit of Judaism. But the first thing that you should recognize on reading the New Testament is that whatever religion produced these documents, it was in the midst of a fairly heavy internal conflict when it did so. Almost all of the authors seem to be screaming over our shoulder at a rival teacher or a rival sectarian that's just out of sight. And we start to see this in the earliest New Testament books, which are said to be the letters of Paul. First of all, whoever originally wrote these letters did not believe in a flesh and blood, earthly Jesus who shook down a fish for money or ordered a Samaritan woman to give him water, even though he himself was standing five feet away from the same well. The idea of Jesus that emerges in the earliest layer of these letters is that of the celestial Messiah called God's servant or God's son who lives in heaven and will come at the end of the world to save the faithful. He won't come again as in a second coming, but he will come, period. He has never been on earth. His saving act occurred at the foundation of the world outside of time. This is in distinct contrast to the four Gospels, which have Jesus strutting around. Also, not only does the theology of Paul's letters often conflict from one to another, but it often conflicts within the same letter. The vocabulary, the style, the arguments shift dramatically from one passage to the next. The term Christian is never used in the letters, but are these then Jewish letters? Because the author sometimes presents himself as being a believing Jew with a favorable attitude toward his fellow Jews, but other times he portrays himself as a Gentile, having been completely outside of Judaism for his entire life, and looking now on the superstructure of Judaism with a mixture of resentment and contempt. The usual explanation for that, which is that Paul had to be all things to all people, is really just a catchphrase. And it's actually a catchphrase that comes from the documents themselves, which is a big no-no when you're examining one of these texts. The picture that emerges from a study of Paul's letters is that of a religious community that predated mainstream Christianity, but was later absorbed by the church. The mainstream church, when it absorbed the religion of Paul, tried to fix the letters and edit them as best it could, but it was kind of like Richard Nixon trying to delete the Watergate tapes. They essentially just gave up like he did and just hoped for the best outcome. The first editor of the New Testament basically stuck these letters between the Gospels and some more acceptably Catholic letters. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. 